Tonight, it's a dark day in Kaduna State as bandits attack three villages in Giwa local government area, killing 38 people and setting properties ablaze. Imo State Governor Hope Uzodimma vows to name sponsors of violence in the state come January 2022. 20-year-old Naomi Orako achieves major feat as she graduates with a 4.96 CGPA from the Pan-Atlantic University. And as the number of Omicron cases rises above 12,000, the United Kingdom says it is not ruling out further COVID restrictions to contain its spread. Welcome. More than 38 persons have been killed by bandits who attacked some villages in Giwa local government area of Kaduna State. The bandits were said to have invaded the villages between Saturday and Sunday morning and opened fire on the innocent villagers. The Kaduna State Commissioner for Internal Security and Home Affairs, Samuel Aruan, said the attacks were reported to the state government by the military and police authorities. Mr. Ruwan adds that the bandits also burned several houses, trucks and cars, along with agricultural produce, at various farms. He however says that security operatives have been deployed to sustain patrols in the area. Meanwhile, President Muhammadu Buhari has condemned the renewed terrorist killings in Kaduna, saying that the gruesome nature of recent incidents in Kauran Fawa Market and Ruya of Idas Ward of Giwa local government area has made him particularly sad, and the killings are unacceptable. In Taraba State, operatives of the Nigeria Police Intelligence Response Team and Taraba State Police Command have arrested 11 suspected kidnappers in the state for their complicity in various crimes. The police in a statement says the suspects were allegedly involved in the kidnapping of the serving personnel of the Nigeria Customs Service the kidnapping of a relative of the Emir of Jalingu and the killing of a police surgeon in Jalingu, the Taraba state capital. According to the police, the, modi, the modus operandi of the suspects includes trailing individuals, business owners, government officials, motorists with flashy and exotic cars to their houses, and thereafter planning and executing the kidnap of such persons. During the operation, the police also recovered different caliber of ammunition. And meanwhile, the Nigeria army has vowed to deal with anyone who attempts to breach the peace or engage in acts capable of causing disharmony among residents in Taraba State. The warning was handed down by the Chief of Army Staff, Lieutenant General Farouk Yahya, at the 20-model battalion Serti Gashaka local government area, following the alarm raised by Governor Ishaku that Iswa are planning, planning to establish their camps in the state. The 20-model battalion Sariti, located in Gashaka, local government area in Taraba State, is playing host to soldiers who were recently transferred from various theatres of operation after some years of fighting insurgency. Although their social activities such as bonfire, cultural dances, tug of war, among others as a measure to relieve the soldiers of the burden of war, the task of professionally securing lives and property of citizens remains the crux of their engagement. It is for this reason that the Chief of Army Staff, represented by the commanding officer of the battalion, is insisting that the army will not lower its guard in spite of the growing security challenge in the country, particularly as the Taraba state governor has hinted about plans by ISWAP to set up camps around the border it shares with the Republic of Cameroon. The Chief of Army Staff already given us the marching order. We are out to ensure the security of life and property in Taraba State and Nigeria as a whole, and we are going to do our utmost best. That is the only thing we know how to do. 
and that's the only thing we're here to do and we're going to do that. The Taraba State Governor, Darius Ishaku, who was represented at the occasion, says efforts are in top gear to continuously fortify the state and ensure the sustenance of peace and harmony. We are doing our possible best to ensure that we'll sustain our peace. We had security meetings of different kinds to ensure that we stop that, uh, that plant that actually have been signaled to the chief security of the state. The traditional institution in Taraba State, their parts say they will not leave anything to chance by promoting peace at all cost. We, in our capacity as traditional rulers in Taraba State, we ensure that uh, we, we foster a peaceful coexistence among our subjects here. So we always uh, call on our people to to coexist peacefully. Some officers who distinguished themselves in the course of their duty in the 55 years of existence of a 20-model battalion were honored. As the West Africa social activities come to a close at the 20-model battalion 30, it is expected that security agencies will improve on intelligence gathering in order to deal with issues of insecurity in the country. And staying, the Ogun State Police Command has arrested a couple for selling their one-month-old baby for 50,000 naira at Ilara area of Odiremo in Remo North local government area of Ogun State. A statement by the police public relations officer in the state says on interrogation, the suspect told the police that it was one Mrs. Ruth Obajimi who allegedly directed them to the yet-to-be-identified buyer. The statement adds that Mrs. Obajimi, who claims to be an official from the Human Rights Office, promised to provide foster care for their child. Meanwhile, the State Commissioner of Police, Larry Bankole, has ordered the immediate transfer of the suspects to the Anti-Human Trafficking and Child Labor Unit of the State Criminal Investigation and Intelligence Department for further investigation. It's just a few days to the year 2022 and the residents of Imo State may have more reasons to look forward to the new year. This is because Governor Hope Uzodima says he will make public names of those sponsoring the unwarranted killings, kidnapping, and all forms of insecurity in the state during the planned stakeholders meeting with leaders of thought and elders of Imo State. The governor disclosed this in Owere during his maiden meeting with the newly inaugurated members of the state executives of the APC and some members of the APC across the 27 local government areas of Imo State. All the people that were hired to kill our people, we have started picking all of them. As much we pick a suspect, you know, we have confessed those who are paying them. We have gotten the bank account from where they have been transferring money to them. And we have them. When I will address the most orders on January 3rd, I will call their names one by one. Staying with Imo State, four days after the rescue of a traditional ruler, a joint security team has gone back to the kidnappers' hideout in Osu local government area of Imo State, and this time they recovered over 10 decomposing corpses. The leader of the team and director of the Department of State Security in Imo State, Wilcox Idaminabo, told newsmen that one of the corpses is that of the traditional ruler of Ihite Ihube, who was kidnapped last two Saturdays ago. Health agencies uh, accompanied the security forces to the camp to excavate and exhume some of the bodies and uh, that is exactly what they have done so that uh, they could be given proper burial. Of course some of the bodies arising from the operation we had earlier some of the bodies were recognized by their families two traditional rulers were abducted from okigwe uh, one of them luckily was uh, 
rescued but unfortunately the other one was killed and uh, his remains part of the ones we rescued today or we evacuated today is the remains of the other easy as far as the main opposition the people's democratic party is concerned the apc-led government is not doing enough to stem the tide of insecurity in the country in a statement by its spokesman debo Ologwagba. The party, the APC and its leaders have failed to account for the political mercenaries they reportedly imported from neighboring countries as thugs, gangsters and hoodlums to unleash violence on Nigerians during the 2019 elections. The party is therefore asking the president to demonstrate leadership and empathy by personally visiting the troubled states in line with his campaign promise to lead the fight against terrorism from the front. The PDP also berated the APC and its leaders for finding time to attend the tabanning ceremony of President Muhammadu Buhari's son in Kasina State when the party did not show empathy for the scores of travelers that were killed in Sokoto and worshippers that were killed in Kaduna and Kasina in the last few days. And as the nation eagerly anticipates the fate of the Electoral Act Amendment Bill, the President's media assistant, Mr. Garbashir, who says Nigerians should not preempt the President as, me, as he may have has sent it to the bill or not. He says the National Assembly will reveal the President's decision in due time, even if the constitutional provisions on the period for giving his assent has elapsed. He was a guest on our political program, Sunday Politics. One or two things obviously is about to happen, or oh, already has happened. Either the president has signed or has declined the uh, signature. For us, in the executive arm of the government, uh, there is a protocol governing communication with the National Assembly. Even when we know, even when we have seen it, we don't make a disclosure. The National Assembly would feel rather unkindly treated if uh, we go on the pages of newspaper and say, this is where or what the president is saying. So please allow time. I believe that uh, they should be in. Tuesday, we're hoping they'll be there in big numbers. They possibly would have uh, something to tell Nigerians. I don't know, I haven't seen anything and I haven't been briefed. I, I think that you are making the assumption that as we speak, there is no decision. And I'm not in a position to tell you yes or no, but uh, given the way things are done, the president would have completed his consultations uh, some time back. The president would be communicating with the National Assembly whatever he decides, either yes or no. Meanwhile, River State Governor Yesonwike believes the president will not assent to the document and that the National Assembly does not have the will to override the president if he withholds his assent. He says the ruling APC is jittery over the effect with the which the electronic transmission clause will have on its chances in future elections and that the inclusion of compulsory direct primary is only a mere distraction. He was a guest on our political program, Sunday Politics. Uh, I did say, and it's very clear, and, uh, that the president was not going to sign uh, uh, the Electoral Act Amendment Bill. Uh, so I continue to say it, and I stand firm, because I know Mr. President, and I know the government, I know the party em empower. So many people, so many people are talking about direct primaries. That is not the problem. That's not the problem. Because the major issue is the transmission, electronic transmission of results. Now, what the ruling party in their conspiracy is trying to deceive Nigerians that the mere inclusion of the direct primary in the electoral act amendment is the problem why the president does not want to sign or why he refused to sign. 
So the problem, the issue is this. Mr. President signed the Petroleum Industry Bill and then sent back for an amendment of that bill. Now, if the President means well for this country, and if the President, as he has promised Nigerians, that he wants to conduct a free and fair election, nothing stops Mr. President by assenting to this amendment and then seek for an amendment as regards to the direct or indirect mode of conducting the primaries of the various political parties. You're watching the news at 10 and in part two after the break. 20-year-old Melmi Orapo achieves major feat as she graduates with a 4.96 CGPA from the Pan-Atlantic University. Stay with us. Welcome back. And if you've just joined us, you're watching the news at 10 live on Channels Television Lagos. Here's a reminder of our top stories. It's a dark day in Kaduna State as bandits attack three villages in Giwa local government area, killing 38 people and setting properties ablaze. Imo State Governor Hope Uzodimma vows to name sponsors of violence in the state come January 2022. 22-year-old Naomi Orako achieves major feat as she graduates with a 4.96 CGPA from the Pan-Atlantic University. And as the number of Omicron cases rises above 12,000, the United Kingdom says it is not ruling out further COVID restrictions to contain its spread. The story of 20-year-old Naomi Orapo, who graduated with a cumulative grade point average of 4.96 from the Pan-Atlantic University and a professional certification in accounting, is quite an inspiring one. While she attributes her success partly to goal setting, her parents believe proper parenting is key to producing phenomenal results. Our correspondent Chris Alems reports. And they do call my name ah, and everybody starts to shout and i'm like god thank you i'm walking to the stage and i'm like yes you've achieved that which this is the story of 20 year old naomi orapo who graduated overall best student in her department with a cumulative grade point average of 4.96. Naomi, born to the family of Pastor Cyprian and Pastor Mrs. Dorin Orakbo, is the third child of four siblings. She says she has always had eyes for excellence. As such, she learned to set goals from an early age. I woke up to my parents and I'm like, Mom, Dad, I'd like to join the music club. I also want to play the violin. And they're like, you want to play the violin? I'm like, yes, I, I can do it. And they're like, okay, we'll get you a violin if you come first in your class. And I'm like, hmm, okay, if I come first, I get the violin. I get to stay after school. So I, that was my goal. And then I walked towards it. I read and then I came first and I got the violin. Goal certain, combined with a reward system set up by her parents, paid off for her. And she made remarkable progress over time, scoring excellent grades even in her secondary school. In secondary school, throughout my stay, I maintained first position in my class and I graduated with best in commercial studies and best students with outstanding record, overall best students. If I knew what I know now in training my other children to discover what are their drivers, okay, and then use those drivers to, to motivate them, 
maybe they probably would have gotten um, outstanding performance like her. When it was time to begin our university education, Naomi had another goal in mind. Entering into university, um, I did commerce in secondary school. So I loved business and I loved accounting. But you have to pick one going into university. And I didn't want to pick one because I wanted to know both. But in Nigeria, we don't offer two. You can't take two degrees at the same time like they do abroad. So, okay, how do I achieve this? So I was like, okay, let me get my degree in business administration while I do a professional course outside school for accounting, AAT and ICANN. It, however, yes. didn't come easy, merging both disciplines, but it was a prize she had to pay. You know, sometimes I pity her. I feel like asking the lecturers who I have paid, you know, to, it's okay, go, let her rest. Because at times she's like, can I have 30 minutes? And they give her 30 minutes, that's 30 minutes, she's sleeping. You go to another corner of the house and she's just sleeping. And you can see that this person is tired. And I let her know that there's four more hours for some serious accounting training. Naomi shares a strategy she adopted, which helped her balance her academics and social life. I ask questions a lot because I want to leave that classroom with enough understanding. After all, I paid to get that understanding. Instead of just when a lecturer talks, you're just nodding, you don't understand anything, and then you go back to your hostel, and then I have to read from point zero again. So I always tried to understand the most I could. So that when I do get to my hostel, I'm building on that knowledge. I'm not starting from point zero. It wasn't just a function of she would ask the most minute questions. She also wasn't afraid to think that she was pulling you back to something you really should have moved on from. So even though you had forgotten about it, you just see the hand coming up and she would say, oh, something you mentioned a few minutes ago, she wasn't quite clear about. So I, I like the fact that um, not only did she not think anything was too silly, she also was bold enough to stop you at whatever time. While she looked forward to obtaining a first class in her field of study, she also wanted to come tops in her department. However, a few days to her exams, the unexpected happened. She contracted COVID. This meant she could not do the final exams with the rest of the students. When you're alone, the only person to turn to is God. I kept praying and asking him for help because he's more of my friend. Yes. So, next two days, I tested again and I was negative and I started coming back to school. While she has a whole lot ahead of her to conquer, she believes the gold child can achieve whatever she aspires to. There's this archaic mentality that girls can't do it, girls can't succeed, girls can't be in charge. And I hear it a lot, a lot of misogynistic point of views from some guys and I'm like nah I want to break that there's a paradigm shift that I want to be a part of and that's why when I look at my mom I get so motivated because she's breaking the barrier I want to also do that has is a story of a young girl who learned to set goals early in life I'm brave enough to put in the work no doubt fortune awaits. Chris Lemps, Channels Television News. Indeed. President Mohammed Buhari has arrived at the State House after a three-day trip to Istanbul, where he participated in the third Turkey-Africa Partnership Summit. The president arrived this afternoon via the official BBJ aircraft, which has been under repairs and upgrade for months. He was received upon arrival at the presidential wing of the Namdi Azikiwe International Airport, Abuja, by the Chief of Staff, Professor Ibrahim Gambari, Secretary to the Government of the Federation, was Mustafa, among others. While in Istanbul, the president solicited for more support to tackle insecurity and insurgency besetting African countries, particularly Nigeria. The president also said the federal government will not allow any part of the nation's territory to be used to undermine a friendly state such as Turkey. 
The Socio-Economic Rights and Accountability Project, SERAP, has urged President Muhammadu Buhari to issue a moratorium on borrowings by the federal government and the 36 states to address what it calls systematic debt crisis. The request comes on the backdrop of recent approval by the National Assembly of a request by the President for a $5.8 billion loan, amongst others. A statement by SERAP reads in part, quote, Without a moratorium on borrowing, your government and many of the 36 states may be caught in a process driven mostly by creditors' needs. This will result in an exorbitant social cost for the marginalized and vulnerable sectors of the population, end quote. The rights group argues that a moratorium on borrowing would create a temporary debt standstill and free up fiscal space for investment in Nigeria's needs and will ensure sustainable economic and social recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Operatives of the National Drug Law Enforcement Agency have arrested a pregnant woman, one Mrs. Eze Choma with 1,422 kilograms of imported skunk in the Ojo area of Lagos, while four men, including 62-year-old Bassett Emmanuel, were arrested with 182,000 tablets of tramadol during a raid in the Abuleba area of Lagos. In similar raids across eight other states of Rivers, Kogi, Benue, Anambra, Adamawa, Edo, Ikiti, Anundu, over 4,000 kilograms of assorted illicit drugs were seized in addition to over 95.94 kilograms of cannabis seized at Edba town in Kogi state and no fewer than 20,000 capsules of tramadol coming from Onicha, Anambra state were seized in Otupo, Benue state. Meanwhile, in Ekiti state, 1,420 kilograms of cannabis were also recovered from Ara in Ikole local government area, while in Akure, Ondo state. And still ahead on the news at 10, Governor Yahya Bello of Kogi state promises to create an enabling environment for all ethnic groups in the state. Join us again. Welcome back. The Kogi state governor, Yahya Bello, wants Nigerians, irrespective of tribe and religion, to live as one indivisible entity for the purpose of achieving significant development for the country. Mr. Bello was speaking when he received in audience the Igbo community and the Progressives Ambassador of Nigeria in Lokoja, the state capital. Both groups want the governor to throw his hat in the race for the 2023 presidential election. Governor Yahya Bello meeting with the Igbo community in Kogi State and the Progressive Ambassadors of Nigeria at the Government House in Lokoja. <laughs> the mission of the two groups seems the same, to declare support for the governor and also call on him to contest for the position of the president come 2023 based on his track records and age as explained by the spokespersons of the groups. We as Igbos, we always associate between in all our future political endeavors. Even in our quest to pretend the affairs of Nigeria come 2023. We are facing the newness in seeing everybody as one in this entity called Nigeria. And I'm much convinced that if given a chance, you will make Nigeria a very peaceful nation. The Progressive Ambassadors of Nigeria is pleased to recognize Your Excellency's spirited commitment to the new Nigerian project. Through your bold, courageous, articulate and consistent campaigns for change of mindset. We for Nigerians aspirate with Towards experiencing the desired result. Governor Yahya who is full of praises for both groups, assures of his administration's continuous efforts to create an enabling environment for all ethnic groups in the state. Thank God, our actions are speaking louder than voice. Yeah. In terms of unity, in terms of security, in terms of development, in terms of utilization, 
the media resources at our disposal. Please continue to live in peace and harmony because we need ourselves in this country. We should continue to cooperate with all authorities at whatever level. We should continue to cooperate with our leaders at whatever level. Because if there's no peace and unity, we can never make any progress. These groups are not the first to declare support for Governor Yahya Bello and to ask him to contest for the position of president, but the governor has yet to make his ambition for 2023 public. Nigeria's Ajaokuta Steel Complex should be on its way to starting operations once the technical audit of the facility is completed in the first quarter of next year, 2022, and potential investors complete the process of selection for its operations. That's according to the Minister of Mines and Steel Development, Olamile Adegwite. Mr. Adegwite told Channel's Television's Ladia Kiridulwali on our current affairs program, Newsnight, that the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic brought on significant delays in implementation of the audit process. First thing to do with Ajakuta, everybody agreed, was what they call a technical audit. Ajakuta had been on for so long. Now we need to do a technical audit, which essentially is to look at the situation of Ajakuta. Uh, the, the present audit. situation. Yeah, present situation. That's what an audit does. You know, they come in there, and the audit team was already formed. 60 Russians were going to come in. 100 Nigerians, well-trained. Uh, government has spent a lot of money on these people. 100 Nigerians. 160 of them will take about 90 days. They look at the Yakuta nitty-gritty in details and tell you, oh, this needs to be done. This needs to be This is still okay and all that. So that... Uh, the the technical audit was supposed to take about 90 days. It was supposed to start in March. Then the pandemic came in. And I must tell you, it's unfortunate. Up till now, we've not been able to do that. The pandemic, essentially. You know, we thought, okay, it went down, and we're going to come in December of last year. Then the third wave or second wave started. And we've been having that. Now we've come to the conclusion that, yes, the pandemic is probably here to stay. You know, we keep adding up different variants. And everybody's learned to adapt. We're, we're learning to live with it. So we're saying, okay, the Russians are ready to come. The president has approved the funding for them. So we are good to go. Uh, I'm hoping that because it's already end of there, maybe they will come here early January to, to start that process. I pray and hope that we will have started an irreversible process by the time we're leaving. Because once the audit is done, in fact, there's a scramble. I have about six or seven options now. People who want to do a Jakuta, and that is the way to go. It's not concessioning, it's PPP. Whoever must come to run a Jakuta must have his skin in the game. You must have your own funds there so that the success is guaranteed. And for the full interview with Mr. Debite, do watch Newsnight tomorrow, Monday, the 20th of December, 2021, at 9 p.m. here on Channels Television. Nigerians are lamenting the rising cost of cooking gas in the country as they seek alternatives such as charcoal and firewood. Over the last three months, the price of cooking gas has risen by over 100%. Although the federal government is admitting that it has no control over the price of gas in the country, the Minister of State for Petroleum, Mr. Timipre Silva, says the president is aware and concerned about the situation. Our correspondent, Emperor Simon, in this special report, examines how Nigerians are coping with the rising cost of gas. Sylvia Okeme is a restaurant owner in Abuja. Before now, she used a 12-kilogram gas cylinder to cook. However, the rising cost of cooking gas has forced her to seek an alternative, which has its impact on her business. It's not been well since the gas and added price. So for now, we haven't been able to buy gas again. We are using firewood and charcoal. It's only the small one we normally refill here to warm, warm up the soup. Like Sylvia, Abigail Emmanuel now uses charcoal as she can no longer afford a cooking gas. So many people do not have money to buy gas and kero. That's why most of the people start using firewood and charcoal. These are not the only ones feeling the heat of the hike in price of cooking gas. Nigerians on the street share the same sentiments. We are encouraged to buy gas and be using gas. The price was very, very low. And now people have come to use gas and see how the price has skyrocketed. In terms of uh, electric, 
like people that use electric stove, the electric is not the, the light is not even stable. So you cannot be proud of it. According to the National Bureau of Statistics, the average price of refilling a 5 kilogram cylinder for liquefied petroleum gas in Nigeria increased by 9.61% month on month and by 34.51% year on year to 2,627 naira 94 kobo in October from 2,397 naira 60 kobo in September 2021 and 1,953 naira 71 kobo in October 2020. However, that statistics may have changed as our findings within the Federal Capital Territory shows a kilogram of cooking gas now goes for between 750 Naira and 800 Naira. The cost of refilling a 12.5 kilogram cylinder is now 9,000 Naira. 10 kilogram is around 8,000 Naira. 5 kilogram is 4,000 Naira. And a 3 kilogram cylinder is refilled for 2,500 Naira. For many Nigerians, the use of cooking gas is something that they have come to like. But now that the cost of the product is rising every day, they are left with no option than to go back to alternatives they left long ago. While Nigerians continue to deal with the current reality, it appears the federal government has little to do to change the situation, as explained by the Minister of State for Petroleum Resources, Mr. Timipre Silva, during a recent press briefing at the State House, Abuja. However, he explains that the president is concerned about the situation. We must understand that uh, gas, cooking gas, is not uh, subsidized. It is already a deregulated commodity. So the price of cooking gas is not determined by government or by anybody here in the industry. And we are quite concerned. Uh, Mr. President also is very concerned. He's aware that uh, the price of gas is high in the market, and we are doing everything uh, to see how we can bring down the price of gas, especially uh, as we approach the new time. Stakeholders, however, prefer some solutions. So competition and increased um, a uh, uh, number of players would bring down the price. So in the short term, we need to reduce the exports and bring those volumes in country. Um, that would have a significant impact. We need to free up more domestic molecules. How do we free up these molecules? Is by reducing exports of LPG out of this country. We have to find ways to domesticate the uh, domesticate uh, uh, supply side to improve uh, supply side by uh, domesticating the, the products that are exported into Nigeria. It's not certain how long the hike in the cost of cooking gas will persist. What's certain is that Nigerians are not finding it easy under the current price regime. Emperor Simon, Channels Television News. Nigeria has recorded 828 new cases of COVID-19. This is contained in the latest statistics by the Nigeria Center for Disease Control, NCDC. By that addition, the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in Nigeria now stands at 22,483. According to the NCDC, the 828 new cases were recorded in 14 states, with rivers having the highest number of 188 cases. Of the new cases, Rivers has 188, Lagos 183, Delta 97, FCT 82, Oyo 67, Edo 54, and Ekiti 34. Plateau State in the North Central has 34, Kano 27, Anambra 22, Kaduna 19, Enugu 12, Ogun 5, and Kwara has 4. As part of the celebration of the United Nations World Toilet Day, which was held in November, Total Energies and its partners have joined the efforts to tackle the global sanitation crisis. As a first step, 
Total is donating 10 toilet units to the River State University in Port Harcourt to improve the hygiene and sanitary conditions within the university. The company says the initiative, codenamed the Hygiene and Sanitary Project, will be replicated in other geopolitical zones of the country. In response to mitigating global health challenges, the River State University becomes the first beneficiary of a purpose-built public convenience facility donated by Total Energies and our partners to promote preventive health care. At the commissioning and handover of the hygiene and sanitary project in Port Harcourt, Total Energy says the initiative is imperative in the face of raging infectious diseases. In response to the health challenges posed by infectious diseases, the need for preventive health care cannot be overemphasized. Diseases like Ebola and the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic have shown that basic hygiene such as hand washing and good sanitary environment can go a long way in protecting the populace from infectious diseases. The hygiene and sanitation project we are commissioned on today is one of six of such projects slated for execution in each of the six geopolitical zones of the country as part of the Corporate Social Responsibility, CSRO, initiative under the Joint Development Zone of Block 7, 8, and 11 production sharing contracts. You're welcome, Chancellor. On his part, the Vice-Chancellor Administration of the institution appreciates the company and notes that the project will add value to the university community. We are very highly elated that our university, River State University, was chosen from the South-South to be the recipient of this very wonderful project. And uh, we have also been informed that this is the first project that is being commissioned in the zone. In the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. According to Total Energies, this project will be replicated in the six geopolitical zones of the country. And now to the arts. Chinyere Akachuku is a lady experienced in the provision of legal advisory on corporate law and intellectual property law issues. But she is also gifted in the arts and shows off her talent in this exhibition called These Recent Times, where she bears her feelings on societal issues. They are hot topics hugging the headlines, but for Chinyere Akachuku, these issues have inspired her to create the images for her latest solo in Lagos. This exhibition is about historical documentation. It's not just about art alone as an aesthetic tool. It's meant to be um, something that in 20, 30 years you would look back at. And um, essentially, the way the country is, people are happy, but some people have mixed feelings. And this exhibition was meant to capture that. The audience can connect to these paintings because they are all too familiar issues people grapple with daily in the race for survival. And they are glad the artist is using her talent to share this with the world. The artist is um, an, a lawyer by profession, so she's a self-taught artist. She didn't actually go to art school to learn how to become an artist, but she's become very... She's, she's taught herself in a very... Um, systematic and pragmatic way how to become an artist through practice and this is her third solo exhibition. Her works reflect the current times in Nigeria um, and also her experience in Nigeria, experience in Lagos. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a modern day take on what it means to be a, a young Nigerian in, in 2021.
she's expressing a lot of um, topics. So you see, if you go through the pictures, you see things about enters, coronavirus, woman first. So this is, you know, this is uh, her expressing her views about the world in a, in a visual style. This self-taught artist is a lawyer by profession. The love of art has seen her embrace this passion, which was revealed in 2019 during her maiden exhibition. But now, she takes it beyond art for art's sake to send a message to the audience. And now foreign news. The British government is monitoring the latest COVID-19 data on an almost hourly basis and will do whatever is necessary to tackle the spread. That's according to Health Minister Sajid Javid, who says the analysis of the data suggested around 60% of all new COVID-19 cases in England are the fast-spreading Omicron variant. However, he adds that the country is in a better position than last Christmas thanks to things such as vaccinations and testing. We are watching the data, discussing it with our scientists and our best advisors almost on an hourly basis. Okay. And, and we will monitor that very carefully. We will keep the situation in the review. But we, we've shown in the past, as, as government, in dealing with this pandemic, that we will do what is, what is necessary, but it's got to be backed up by the data. So it's hard to say with any kind of certainty what's the total number of infections, but we know from, from all this data that they are growing significantly in the community. So for example, um, we know from a test called the S-gene target failure, which is basically a proxy test for Omicron. It's a lot quicker doing that than the sequencing. Uh, we know that it's currently running at around 60% of all cases, uh, all new cases in England overall. Countries across Europe have been tightening restrictions as the heavily mutated variant spreads. Germany has become the latest nation to ban most travelers from Britain to try to slow the spread of the Omicron variant. However, German nationals and residents will still be allowed to enter from the UK. They must have a negative test and quarantine for two weeks, regardless of whether they had been vaccinated. The measures take effect from Sunday evening, and France has already introduced similar curbs as coronavirus infections surge in Britain. At least 75 people are now known to have died after a devastating storm struck the Philippines on Thursday. Super Typhoon Rai, with winds of about 195 kilometers per hour, sent some 300,000 people running for safety when it hit the country's southeastern islands. Initial aerial images of the worst hit regions show extensive damage. But establishing the scale of the losses has proved difficult as communication to a number of areas has been cut off. Sports News Now. Aqua United have kicked off their title defense in the 2021-2022 Nigeria Professional Football League season with a win against former champions Kanu Pillars. The promise keepers earlier this evening won the thrilling tie at the Godzilla Kwabio Stadium by three goals to nil. Shooting stars of Ibadan marked their return to top flight football as they held host Gombe United to a goalless draw. In Makodi, Lobi stars were held by Rivers United to a one all draw. In other games, Enugu Rangers recorded the only away win, defeating Kasina United 2 1. Aimba International defeated Abia Warriors by same scoreline in the Southeast Derby. Newly promoted side Quara United defeated Dakada FC 3 0. The game between Heartland and Nasarawa United ended 3 all. Defending champions Manchester City crushed Newcastle 4-0 to confirm their position at the top of the table in the English Premier League. Eddie Howe's side shot themselves in the foot in just the fifth minute when calamitous defending handed City the lead after goalkeeper Martin Dubravka had carelessly conceded a corner.
Pep Guardiola's City have now won eight league games in a row, but relegation threatened Newcastle remain three points from safety, having now played two games more than Watford, who are just outside the drop zone. COVID hit Chelsea were held to a goalless draw by Wolves after the Premier League rejected their request to postpone the game. Liverpool's title challenge suffered a setback as Song Hyung Min punished Alison Becker's blunder to rescue a thrilling 2-2 draw. And over 50 people have been arrested in France overnight as fans of Algeria celebrated their Arab Cup final triumph, largely on the Champs-Élysées in Paris. French police confirmed that in Paris alone, 32 were detained and 432 people had been cautioned, mainly for traffic offences as fans celebrated in the city centre. African champions Algeria beats Tunisia in Qatar on Saturday with a 2-0 extra time win in the final of the Arab Cup, sending supporters out in droves across France with further incidents in Lyon and Roubaix. FIFA will hold a global summit on Monday to discuss their plans for holding the World Cup every two years, but their biggest opponent, UEFA President Alexander Seferin, shows no sign of backing down. The idea was first brought up at the FIFA Congress in May. A biennial World Cup would most likely affect the UEFA Euro National Football Tournament, the finals of which are normally staged in the year midway between the World Cup finals tournaments. And the main news again. Bandits attacked three villages in Giwa, local government area of Kaduna State today, killing 38 people and setting properties ablaze. And that's it on the news at 10 tonight. Thank you so much for watching. And from all of us here, it's good night.